Hello, Marvelites. You're listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 540, and I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink, agent of Good Times and Pizza. Ooh. You had been agent of chaos for a while, and I liked yeah. it, but now it's, I... <laughs> it's changed. You know, as an agent of chaos, I cannot be encapsulated by one thing. I love a good pizza. I also love talking about Marvel stuff because this is the official Marvel podcast where we talk about what's happening this week in Marvel. We talk about games, comics, movies, TV, and so much more. We have a great guest later this episode. We're talking with Jamie McKelvey, writer of the incredible new Captain Carter comic book. I've read it. It's really great. And designer of many things. We'll get into that later. But first, let's talk about the big buzzy stuff this week with Marvel Studios Moon Knight. Heck yeah. There is a new poster of Mr. Knight, his iconic white suit and mask. You can definitely go check those out across Marvel social media pages. And of course, watch Marvel Studios Moon Knight beginning March 30th, which is a mere breath away. It is so soon. Oh my gosh, so good. And look, more to come, more to come. I, I love this poster so much. Mr. Knight, that design is like a genuine favorite of mine. I also want to give a shout out to Empire Magazine. Empire Magazine is a great oh, film yeah. and, and TV and pop culture magazine. And their newest issue is Chock-A-Block full of Marvel Studios Moon Knight stuff. Great cover, a bunch of features inside. There's a digital version and a print version um, wherever you, you get your magazines. But I'm a big supporter of magazines having started my career in magazines. So Empire rules so go check them out also something to check out is the final trailer for morbius it reveals michael keaton's adrian tombs character aka the vulture also jared leto as dr michael morbius and matt smith who plays milo and uh encourages him to be the bad guy so that should be very exciting definitely go check out the trailer over on the social medias. And of course, Morbius comes exclusively to theaters on April 1st. Come for the bites. Stay for that nose, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Also, there's a great little joke in there about the Lost Boys, which is one of the greatest cinematic achievements in history. Uh, It is a vampire movie from the 1980s. It is. It features the best sax man in the world. Oh, he's so sexy. And there's just, the soundtrack is so good. It's so weird and dark and 80s. And um, there's some comic book stuff within the movie. If you've never seen Lost Boys, go check it out. Go watch it. It's got to be streaming somewhere. Oh, it's so good. It's always a Halloween watch for me. So, so good. You know what I'm excited for, Ryan? We have Marvel's live action series and an updated parental control setting coming to Disney Plus on March 16th. So March 16th, Disney Plus will add more Marvel live action series titles to its already expansive content offering in the US, Canada, UK, Ireland, Australia, and New Zealand with the addition of Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, The Defenders, and The Punisher. Plus Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is coming to the US and This is going to be so awesome. I'm so excited for fans to get to stream this content on Disney+. And with the addition of these titles, Disney Plus will concurrently release an update to its parental controls in the U.S. that will prompt all subscribers to update their settings. So if you're not familiar with these series, they are indeed for grownups. So please take that into account when you are updating your settings. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And the Marvel series will also be available across other Disney Plus markets later in the year. So keep your eyes on Disney Plus, dependent on what region you live in. Let's keep it rolling because another big piece of news that dropped within the last week is Fortnite Marvel Zero War. And this follows the success of the 2020 crossover Fortnite Marvel Nexus War Thor. So Fortnite Marvel Zero War number one launches in June 2022. It's going to run through September and it's going to be available globally, of course. It's a five-part crossover event and it is Marvel's latest collaboration with Epic Games, the makers of Fortnite. It's going to feature some of Marvel's greatest heroes, including Spider-Man, Wolverine, Iron Man, and Shuri. I'll give you a little bit of the story right now. The inhabitants of the island are locked in what seems to be a never-ending war, and only one thing has the potential to turn the tide, a crystallized fragment of the Zero Point that was cast into the Marvel Universe. Spider-Man and Wolverine team up with Shuri and several Fortnite fighters to hunt down the elusive Zero Shard. Will these allies be able to find it in time and avert catastrophe? And can the heroes of Marvel and Fortnite's realities hold off the imagined order long enough to give them a fighting chance? You're going to have to read the comic to get those answers. But it is going to be a super fun comic written by Christos Gage, who worked on Spider-Geddon and Avengers mm-hmm. Academy, lots of other comics. He worked on some other Fortnite comic book projects. He's teaming up with Epic Games Chief Creative Officer Donald Mustard, who we've had on the show previously, who is terrific and a huge, huge Marvel fan, along with artist Sergio Davila, who has been working on Captain Marvel. So it's a great creative team. A really wonderful bonus is that each first print issue, so the first printing of each issue, contains a redeemable code that will unlock a bonus digital cosmetic in Fortnite. So that is going to be super cool. Make sure you ask your local comic shop, pre-order your copy, make sure you get it early, early, early. And then for a limited time, paid Marvel Unlimited subscribers with a registered account that read all five issues will unlock a code for an additional cosmetic. The five issues of Fortnite Marvel Zero War will be available on the Marvel Unlimited app at the release of the final issue in stores. So basically, double dip, right? Go buy your issues in your local comic shop. Get those codes. Then make sure you have Marvel Unlimited. Read all five issues again After the series has released its final issue, you can read them all on Marvel Unlimited. Then you get another code for an additional cosmetic. It's pretty great. Yeah. All this Fortnite stuff, super cool. I'm sure we'll be talking about this much more this summer into the fall and and beyond. Also, they just added Rogue and Gambit into Fortnite, which is neat. But, uh, you know, another great character we want to talk about, America Chavez. We just posted a new video of who is America Chavez. I know a lot of folks have been excited to see more of America Chavez out in the world. And if you're looking for a a little catch up on her comic book origins and her history, there's a new You Don't Know video. If you're not familiar, these are explainers about different characters and storylines, and you can find them over on the Marvel YouTube channel or on marvel.com. Go over, check it out, learn more about America Chavez's history. They're really fun. And shout out to our Marvel production team, because I generally write the scripts and pull a lot of art, but they make it pretty and they make it move and it's real fancy. Yeah, they come out pretty great. Uh, Speaking about things that come out pretty great, Lorraine, talk about Mech Strike Monster Hunters on Marvel HQ. Yeah, I'm very excited. Episode one and two and three are now live and you can watch them at youtube.com slash Marvel HQ. Mech Strike Monster Hunters is a new, fresh 
animated motion comic that tells the story of some of our favorite superheroes facing off against Doctor Doom, who has a monster eye that he's used to transform all of Marvel's worst supervillains into bum, 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 monsters. Of course, in order for our heroes to take down such monsters, they are going to have to mech up in these awesome mech suits created by Tony Stark and then monsterized by Doctor Strange. It's a big monster versus monster battle. They're super fun. I hope that you guys will check them out. I have been working my butt off on them, editing the series with Steve Wacker. And it has incredible art by a new artist to Marvel, Jethro Morales. I'm really excited to see what he does with us because he's absolutely phenomenal, as well as Eric Arseniega on colors and scripted by Kevin Shinnick, who has done a lot of great work for us and is a great writer in general. I hope you guys will go and check it out. And also, Marvel HQ is our family-friendly channel. So if you've got little ones and you want to plunk them down in front of some cool Marvel content and get them into stuff, that is the place to do it. There's tons of great content, and it's all safe for the whole family. All right, let's talk about something really neat that just recently happened over at Avengers Campus at Disney California Adventure Park. There's a new plaque honoring Stan Lee. The inscription reads, we dedicate Avengers Campus to the incomparable Stan Lee, that person who helps others simply because it should or must be done, and because it is the right thing to do, is indeed, without a doubt, a real superhero. Thank you, Stan, for inspiring the hero within each of us. You have made us all true believers. Really, really sweet. Mm -hmm. Last week, I was digging around some files that I had and found some videos and footage and stuff and, and photos from New York Comic Con 2007, which was actually in February of that year. And it's 15 years since that convention. And that year, Stan Lee was there and we had a whole bunch of photos and things with Stan at the Marvel booth. There was also a panel with Stan Lee, fabulous Flo Steinberg, Ralph Macchio, and a whole bunch of other older Marvel staffers. And I had three videos from Stan and Flo talking about the time there. And I posted them up on my social if anybody wants to watch them, which I really suggest you do because they're just I was almost on the verge of tears because it was so great mm -hmm. to see Flo in particular for us because we knew Flo. But they tell some great stories. Stan talks about meeting Federico Fellini, the famous movie director who uh, came to the Marvel offices. It's a hilarious story. He makes fun of DC and Superman in like a very sweet way. It's really funny. So check out those videos over on my social. I saw those go up. They're really great. Also, Ryan, mm. there are select silhouettes in the Adidas Originals Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy sneaker collection that are now available. I'm sure that these are going to be snatched up so fast. If you're hearing this now, you better get your butt to go grab some or they might not be there anymore. Um, additional sneakers are going to be rolling out over the next few months across the globe. So be sure to check out the Adidas website for the latest timing mm. for your region. Yeah. But I want these sneakers so badly. It's such a perfect collab. And so many of the sneakers are like, you know, perfect just so perfect for the marvel's guardians of the galaxy game mm -hmm. 10 out of 10 and if you haven't played marvel's guardians of the galaxy yet what are you doing with your life oh go God. play that video game it's so friggin' good <sighs> so good oh and uh if you haven't played marvel's guardians of the galaxy this is actually a great opportunity to dive in because starting on march 10th it is going to be available on xbox game pass for cloud console and pc so definitely check it out 
All right, let's keep this moving uh, and talk about some new comics that were announced. First up, Iron Cat, which is a new five-issue limited series starting in June. This is written by Jed McKay, art and cover by Pere Perez. So Jed McKay been doing incredible work with Black Cat over the last couple of years. Pere has been doing incredible work over on the Spider-Woman comics over the last year and a half, two years. And so Iron Cat sees Black Cat team up with Iron Man to investigate the reemergence of the Iron Cat armor. That was an armor that appeared in Black Cat number 11. It is really, it's just such a fun piece of armor. There's going to be a super... (laughs) Meow. I'm an Iron Cat. Did I get it? You got it. Nailed it. Crushed it. It's going to be a tremendous series because I love these creators so much. I recently did some rereading of the Black Cat comics for Marvel's Pull List. And Man, they're some of my favorite comics over the last couple of years. Please, please, please go read those Black Cat comics on Marvel Unlimited or get the trades or pick up the issues because there's some really fantastic issues and then get hyped for Iron Cat in June. Also coming this June, Genesville, Captain Marvel number one. Yep, he's back. He was recently resurrected in The Last of the Marvels, which is the latest story arc in Kelly Thompson's hit run on Captain Marvel. So Genesville is going to star in an all-new limited series written by the creator who helped divine him, Peter David. I mean, Peter David, legend, has written so many important runs. And he'll be joined on art by Juan and Ramirez. That's coming in June. And this should be really fun because Genesville and Rick Jones are about to come crashing back into each other after both returning to the land of the living. Poor Rick Jones. Just that's 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 it. That's the tweet. Poor Rick Jones. <laughs> He's been through so much. But I'm really excited to see a Genesville Captain Marvel. Maybe he'll stop stealing people's names. Oh, wait. Nope. Too late. <laughs> He's like, I'm f- I I want to be Captain Marvel. No, I want to be Photon. No, I want to be whatever Monica Rambeau's name is. Yeah, this is also like if you're a Peter David fan, you got obviously we mentioned Rick Jones, Janice Vell, Marlo, who is Rick's ex-wife. So lots of like incredible Hulk era stuff that you can mm-hmm. dig into. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. All right, let's hit the pods, as they say, to talk about the history of Marvel Comics Black Panther episode number four which is titled Allow Me to Reintroduce Myself, and it is now available in this episode. We're jumping to 2005, where Marvel is tapped screenwriter, director, and president of entertainment at BET, Reginald Hudlin, to write a new Black Panther book. The description says Reggie shares this news with his friends and family. Their reaction, quote, who is Black Panther? Boom. And that is what propels Reginald forward because he writes, who is the Black Panther? That was uh, Reggie's big response to that reaction, building off the previous Black Panther stories, but really reintroducing T'Challa to the world and just his own desires for a Black superhero. And I remember that book came out swinging. It was huge. I was at Wizard at the time and it was like, damn, this is really, really good. So we have some conversations in here between host Nick Stone and Reginald Hudlin. Let's hear a clip right now. Who is the Black Panther? Uh, Well, he's the greatest Black superhero ever created. I mean, he's the equivalent of Captain America because Captain America epitomizes what's great about America. You know, he's the promise of America, which isn't always fulfilled. And so many great Captain America stories come from him being the ideal, you know, bumping up against the reality of the country. And in the same way, the Black Panther is the personification of the greatness of Africa. That was cool. But you know what's even cooler than cool? What's that? Two clips. And you would just see these pencils. You'd just be like, oh, oh, 
<laughs> it was so good. And I remember showing them to my wife, and my wife was like, oh, that's 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 cute. Uh, and then her her friend was visiting, so I would show them to her best friend, Kamala Harris, and she was like, this is awesome, Reggie. And I was like, that's the response I was looking for. All right, so you can hear the whole episode, and you can listen to the first four episodes now exclusively on the SiriusXM app and Marvel Podcast Unlimited on Apple Podcasts. Episodes will be widely available one week later on Pandora, Stitcher, and all major podcast platforms in the U.S. Learn more at SiriusXM.com slash Black Panther. Hey, Ryan, you know what's cooler than one podcast? What's that, Lorraine? Two podcasts, Marvel's Wastelanders, Black Widow, Chapter 9. The entertainment is now available. You know what? Let's listen to another clip because you know what's cooler than cool? Cool? Another clip. <laughs> I've been grooming you to rise to this exact challenge. This building isn't safe for any of us. President Red Skull is evil. This is a turf war, plain and simple. You were ready to throw me to the wolves a few hours ago. I don't want to spend another second in this building. Is he insane? This is going off the rails. She knows the damage that does. Don't lie to me. I will pull this trigger. Aim against shield. That's ugly. The entire building has been dosed. You have visual confirmation that the pills have been taken. Do you think the inside of the Onar is bad right now? The streets are worse. So you know why I have to do this? Don't tell her the truth! About what? About you! About her! Don't you see what's going on? You always thought you knew better than me. That you were better. I'm sorry. You just heard the voices of Susan Sarandon as Black Widow, Nate Cordry as Jordan Temple, who we had on the show last week. If you want to go back and listen to an interview with him, Melissa Gilbert as Kim, Chastin Harmon as Lisa Cartwright, Michael Imperioli as Stanley, and more. Listen to the first nine episodes. That's that's a whole lot of episodes. Listen to the first nine episodes now exclusively on the SXM app and Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts. Episodes will be widely available one week later on Pandora, Stitcher, and all other major podcast platforms in the U.S. You can learn more at marvel.com slash wastelanders or don't waste lander your life. Just go listen to the flipping podcast. Oh, I need, I need those. You want those? Hi, big girl. Catherine, what'd you do upstairs? I pooped. You pooped? That's great. Yeah, in a big toilet. I'm pooping. No. <laughs> Bye. All right, the pod train keeps rolling because we have the Marvel's Voices podcast. And if you want more about the Marvel's Wastelanders Black Widow podcast, of course, you can check out this week's episode of Marvel's Voices, where our pal and host Angelique Rocher talks to Chastin Harmon, who plays Lisa Cartwright in the podcast. Yeah, definitely go check it out. All you Marvel's Wastelanders Black Widow fans, all of you Marvel's Voices fans. Yeah. And Marvel's pull list this week, we had on editor of Marvel Comics and young adult editor Lauren Bissom. She's on the show talking about Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, which is really cool. But in our picks of the week, we picked What If Miles Morales number one, Strange number one, and X-Men number nine. X-Men number nine is full of great stuff. There's MODOK in there. There's great X-Men stuff. But there's a whole scene in which Destiny, the, the amazing character who we love, she is drinking at a bar and in come Rogue and Gambit, who go to this bar and there's some interaction and stuff. Well, if you know your X-Men history, you know that Destiny is one of Rogue's moms. She and a Mystique raised Rogue, which, not the best parents, but they love her. They love her. You know, like so many parents, just doing the best 
with what they had available at the time. Also leading her to a very young criminal life. But Murder still. and stuff, but yeah. also doing their best. Right. But anyway, Destiny and Rogue, they do love each other, all this stuff. But Destiny is that mother-in-law who hates <laughs> her son-in-law. And I, it was like, I was just like eating the most delicious feast while reading this book. She like makes fun of him. She calls him the worst name. She just... Destiny deals on Gambit throughout their scenes in here, and it ends in one of my favorite sequences in which Gambit and Rogue leave, and Destiny, there's like a pause where she's there, and she's like, you can look at the panel and feel her taking a breath, and then she puts her hands out like she's choking him, and she just says, hate you. And I was just like, Destiny, I couldn't help, like, I don't think I could love you more. You are truly representing me. In this comic. Thank you, Jerry Duggan, for doing that. Yes. Uh, and Sia Via on the art. Oh, my God. This issue rules. I have to say that X-Men run, that Jerry Duggan X-Men run <laughs> is just hit after hit. So funny, heartfelt, mm-hmm. good action, just all of the good things. Modoc at the buffet issue before. Mwah, chef's kiss. Yeah. But we got another chef's kiss coming your way because we have Jamie McKelvey who is going to talk to us about Captain Carter number one. I think a lot of folks think of Jamie McKelvey as an artist. He's known for obviously his wonderful work on books like Young Avengers and some other books out there in the universe that are not for Marvel. But he's an incredible costume designer. He's done some really notable costume designs in the Marvel universe that have been really universe shaking for our marvel world Mm -hmm. and for fandom and now he is writing captain carter as well as taking on her redesign which has been super cool it was really cool to get into all of that with him yeah also he's just he's just the best All right, Lorraine, I hope you've had a nice big English breakfast this morning to get ready for our chat with our guest, Mr. Jamie McKelvey. Hello, Jamie. Yeah. Oh, um, I'm actually uh, speaking to you from Scotland, so uh, it'll be a Scottish breakfast. But uh... What is a Scottish breakfast, and can I have some right now, please? It's basically the same, but you get some haggis and, yes. uh, and tatty scones, probably, which are like these little like potato things that are really nice. When I was in Edinburgh... God, like now it's been like five years. I wish I want to oh. go back. I love it so much. Uh, there, I found this place called like Mom's Diner or Mom's yeah, Restaurant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so good. I had the haggis there. I loved yeah. it. I love Scotland. I'm so jealous. Yeah, I've been there. It's like a, it's a weird sort of like nostalgia for a time that doesn't exist kind of place. <laughs> I'm very, very jealous. I was supposed to be in Scotland last summer, but could not travel. Mm -hmm. Um, My husband is still best, best friends with all of his study abroad friends from college Mm because he lived there for about a half a year. But let's talk about your Marvel origin story. What was the first way that you interacted with Marvel's characters, got into the Marvel universe? I mean, if we're talking Marvel as a publisher, it would have been the Transformers comic in the (laughs) mid 80s, the British one, which is like half American stuff and then half because our comics come out weekly rather than monthly, there was a lot of space to fill. So they also had stories by uh, Simon Furman. So that was the comic I was reading when I was like five. And then it would have been, oh gosh, I think I was probably 12. And I was in Cardiff with my family, because a lot of my family's Welsh. And I went to a comic shop there and I picked up an X-Men book called From the Ashes, which is like the most of the Paul Smith run. On X-Men, and obviously, I mean, I think he probably still tell he's a massive influence on me. It's like, blew me away, that book. So, 
Yeah, I've still got it. Oh, it's downstairs. I can't show you it right now, but it's like falling apart because it's now, what, 30 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have that same From the Ashes collection from the 80s. The, the yeah, it's, it's like a Adam's cover on it, I think. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is really cool because like that, when I designed, you know, the time traveling ones a few years ago, the first piece of somebody else's artwork I saw was not Adam's cover. It's kind of like a nice loop, closer loop on that one. Before we get into much more, I've and Lorraine and then our audience has heard me talk about it ad nauseum the last years. I'm a big Transformers fan, got back mm -hmm. into it recently, but I mm -hmm. never read the comics when I was growing oh, up. Yeah. So I've been doing a full read through of the US and UK comics. Mm -hmm. So I'm getting into the stuff that you were reading when you were five years old, mm -hmm. and it is delightful. Isn't it? And it's kind of um some of it I I I don't know how you almost got away with it. Like, I don't know if you have you read the basically the zombie story? where there's like zombie transformers, kind of, pretty much. I don't think so. And it was terrifying, <laughs> utterly terrifying. He's like, you know, ripped apart, like crawling around. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, okay, yep. Yeah, um, and just, you know, reading that when I was like six or whatever. But yeah, it was good stuff. It was very good stuff, yeah. You mentioned the Paul Smith run on X-Men and, and how that mm -hmm. was influential to you. But how did you get started actually making comics? Oh, well, that's a really late starter. So I, I mean, I drew as a kid, not like seriously, but I drew a bunch of kids and I was kind of stopped in um, my mid-teens, I guess. I, I just essentially didn't have a great time in the art class I was taking. I didn't like how it was taught and stuff and just sort of was fell out of it. And then uh, I was in university and my girlfriend at the time had me read Sandman. I started reading that and then, but went back to university and I hadn't finished it. This was like over a, over a holiday. So oh, what am I going to do? So I found a comic shop and I went in and bought a, an X-Trade and then an X-Trade. And then like anywhere else, I think that would have been the end of it. Like I'd finished the story and I'd be done. But the guy who runs the comic shop was like, oh, if you like that, you like this. If you like that, you like this. And it really got me into comics as a whole. And then, so I was about 21 and I just thought, um, maybe I could give this a go. So I just started drawing again. It was that stupid and simple. Wow. Yeah. And then within like two years, I'd met Kieran. And literally Kieran the first Gillen. time we met. Right. Kieran Gillen, yes, yes. And then the first time we met, within about a month, we were working together, I think. <laughs> wow. It's, it's strange because a lot of people talk about like working for years and years and years before getting their break. And like that bit of it was like oddly easy. Well, you guys, I mean, are obviously such an incredible duo. Like you've worked on some of my favorite stuff <laughs> just like <Thank> ever <laughs> as far as comics go. What was your first work with Marvel and how did that come about as you started your journey here? So it wasn't with Karen. I've got to check. I'm remembering this right, but I think I am. <laughs> I think it was an eight page X-Men story with Matt Fraction. Nice. There's a weird period of time where sort of a lot of us all sort of came up together on the internet. Um, so it's like us and him and Kelly Sue and, and John Hickman and a whole bunch of people. And was it called Divided We Stand or something like that? Divided We Stand with Matt yeah. Fraction. That was the aftermath. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there we go. So uh, he asked me who my favorite X-Men character was. And I said, well, it's Nightcrawler, obviously. And so we did an eight-page Nightcrawler story together. Uh, that was the, the first, first gig. You mentioned designing some costumes and looks for, for mm -hmm. X-Men, but here, you know, we're, we're really keen to talk about Captain Carter and redesigning her look, but also writing that limited mm -hmm. series. Before we get into that sort of thing, I, I do want to keep on the design tip. Can you tell our audience some of the, the character designs you've done, the, the costumes and, and those types of things? 
Oh, let's see. Probably the the biggest one would be Captain Marvel, which was 2013, I think. I was, it's not quite the current look, obviously. It gets tweaked across the years, but it's pretty much, you know, it's obviously all sort of founded in that one. Then I did Ms. Marvel a couple of years after that. I did the, the Loki outfit, which I think is still his current one, part of Young Avengers. Mm-hmm. In Young Avengers, I sort of redesigned most of them, I think. Yeah, the time-traveling X-Men. X-Men Blue. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a lot more, but obviously my mind goes blank when I have to think of a list of things. That's a pretty damn good list of, of looks. Some fan favorite characters. I mean, those are really big redesigns. And the sort of interesting thing is you say these things very humbly, like, oh, I did this, <laughs> I did that. Like, you defined those characters visually for this entire generation of readers in a really epic way. I mean, first and foremost, the Captain Marvel flight suit, like that costume and title changed that character forever. In my mm. heart of hearts, I know that's part of why that fandom became so emboldened and passionate about that character. And, you know, what was it like for you seeing the impact of a costume like Captain Marvel on the character and on the entire zeitgeist of film moving forward? Uh, that's a big question. <laughs> I wish I could put that into words. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, it's amazing. I remember the first American con I went to after that. I think it was New York. And within like 10 minutes of stepping inside, I saw like one or two people dressed as the character. Um, and I saw so many over that weekend. And so that was sort of like the first inkling of like, oh, this is, you know, this has gone down well. And then, yeah, just it's just incredible. Obviously, movie stuff and I think it was uh, another con in Seattle just after the movie came out. I went to a, a store just to, I can't remember, we'd, we'd run out of pens or something. And I went in and there's like an entire wall of like Captain Marvel stuff, um, <laughs> you know, like Lego and toys and all this kind of thing. I was like, oh yeah, okay, this is, yeah, this is uh, interesting. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's amazing, utterly amazing. And just like the response has been great all along and just seeing the sort of, like you say, like the impact it has on people and the way it sort of inspires people has been really amazing. And I even think about Ms. Marvel, right? And mm. Ms. Marvel is in my daughter's favorite show, Spidey and His Amazing mm-hmm. Friends. And she she can say, Ms. Marvel, and she gets excited and she sees that costume. And then we're going to have an original series on Disney Plus, And it's, mm-hmm. it's freaking cool, man. It's real cool. Yeah, it's super cool. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, it was Kieran that described Ms. Marvel as like this generation Spider-Man in terms of the impact. You know what I mean? Like this is the... The character of this generation and obviously that's not you know me that's that's willow and everybody else on the on the book but like being part of that is super super cool yeah i would love to hear a little bit about the process of working on captain carter's costume and bringing her design into the now and mm-hmm. what elements of her character were you looking toward and and using as inspiration there's a few things so like when i say character i, I don't just mean sort of personality i also mean like their backstory their history their the context that they're in, yeah, even their powers and things, um, all sort of like feed into it. But with her, obviously she's a, a soldier. Like that's that sort of like she's the, she's the World War II super soldier. So then it was a question of within the context of the story, how does she get this costume? And within the story that we're telling, it's designed for her by like a, um, it's like a government agency, which feeds into it as well, because it's not just about her. It's also about what their intentions are for it. So feeding that all in together, like I say, I'm kind of glad in general that superheroes have moved away from like an overall militarization thing, which was, you know, there was a period of, and I think superheroes kind of are in a different niche to that, but she has a military background. So 
I was looking at like modern combat dress, not to put her into that directly, but like the way that the cuts are, the way that the, the practicality of it. Obviously, she's a very practical character. She's not going to want heels or anything like that. She wants something that she can fight in. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it seems like an obvious thing. And yeah. <laughs> when you design these costumes, these characters, what is that process like? Are you making, you know, turnarounds? Are you doing any 3D work? Are you like, what does that look like for you as you're sort of iterating on her? It changes a little bit depending on, on the thing. Some of them, I think about it for a little bit and then I know what I'm doing straight away. Like Captain Marvel was, I think there were like two options, one of which I knew I preferred and that was the one everybody else preferred. And then it was a question of, changing the mask a little bit and putting changing the color of it and it was done it was like really really easy other times what i'll do is i'll print out a bunch of essentially like paper dolls and just sort of doodle on them in pencil in different shapes and and try and like see what i like see what i don't like because a lot of the time a big part of the process is figuring out what you're rejecting as an idea you know that's as important as the things that you choose to use but i generally like playing around with shapes first and and big blocks of color before I start sort of like narrowing down on the details. Um, and that was the case here, yeah. Would you describe it a little bit? Yeah, sure. So it's kind of, um, it takes a lot of the sort of colors of her original outfits. So there's like the, the navy blue and there's the red and the white. And like I said, it's kind of sort of deconstructed. So there's kind of bits of the flag sort of divided up around her, her costume um, in kind of like bright sort of bold sections. What I wrote on it, as a kind of tip for other people drawing it, for in a close-fitting but not skin-type top made from advanced protective material. Because you can get away with that in comics, like some close-fitting thing can totally stop a bullet. So that's kind of the look for it. And then she's got these kind of slim combat trousers, um, again, in the same sort of colours, uh, with like red piping and things. And then she's got these red, pretty heavy-duty boots, I think, and red fingerless gloves. And she's got these stylized, like, uh, captain's pips down the side of her arm, the British Army captain sort of insignia, I guess, which I thought was kind of like a, a nice little touch down the side of the for myself. <laughs> and she's got pockets and she's got pouches, which are very important. We love pockets. <laughs> yeah, right. And it just looks like something that she can definitely deal with stuff in, I think is the best way to describe it. A lot of cosplayers are thanking you right now for including pockets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's naturally part of the look, I think. But also, yes, it's, it's nice to be able to carry things. So you're working on a Captain Carter series with artist mm -hmm. Marika Cresta. Do you have conversations with her about the look? Did she have questions? Like you're obviously coming at it from the writer's side, but also from an artistic design standpoint, naturally. What are those conversations like as you guys start to work on the series? Yeah, it's been really good. So like not just with her, but also designing other characters and things. It's been a good back and forth. And I think it's, it is pretty helpful for me to be an artist as well in those sort of respects because... We can sort of have those conversations in the right sort of vocabulary. That makes sense. Uh, that we both sort of understand. Yeah, but she's been doing a great job with it. It's been really, really good. Just got the colours for the first issue. I think I think we're going to print today, actually. It's all like come together and it's all looking really good. And, you know, she's working on the third issue at the moment. And it's really kind of cool to see other people take your design. I mean, it always is, but like, especially when you're working on the book together, to see somebody take your designs and put their sort of like interpretation on it. It's just always amazing. So it's, it's really cool to be working in that sort of context. Man, whenever I get the opportunity to work with an artist on a project, it mm -hmm. always blows my mind to just see the magic that they create because that initial thought, it's really exciting to see it brought to fruition in such a real way. 
I know that you had a, a book, Suburban Glamour, in 2008 mm -hmm. where you were writing. What kind of drew you to being more on the writing side and mixing it up? Yeah, I mean, I always wanted to write more. Like originally the plan before people sort of started paying attention to us was me and Kieran were going to like do one Suburban Glamour and then one Phone Glamour and I do one Suburban Glamour and we do something else and then go back to Phone Glamour. Sort of. So I'd be writing a lot more. And then just sort of, you know, our careers took off in a way that didn't sort of allow me that space, which I'm not upset about. Obviously, I've had a great career drawing. But it's something I always wanted to do. And once our last book, Wick and Divine, came to an end, I had the space and time, thankfully, because it was you know, successful. It gave me the time to think about what I wanted to do next. And writing was always sort of on, on the cards. You know, I did that the Captain Marvel little short story um, last year, which sort of... Um, I guess, went down well enough to be asked to write this. And I was just, absolutely, I really want to do this. I really enjoy that aspect of things as much as drawing. We were big fans of Wicked and the Divine here. Also, you mentioned Suburban Glamour. And I remember mm -hmm. having gotten that years and years ago, the collection for that. That's from 2008. I think so, yeah. Well, I'm so excited to see, you know, what you bring to the Captain Carter series. What drew you to that character? And like, what were you excited to explore with her? Yeah, I mean, I think like a lot of people, I'm you know, just a, generally a fan of the the character, whether that's the the comics version or the the MCU version, and so like obviously that's immediately appealing. And then the, the like the other aspects of it, I suppose there's two sides to it. One of them is it's such a long time since World War Two to now, and like so much has changed. And if you wake up, you know, it's nearly eighty years at this point. How do you react to that? Like, how do you deal with this thing that's completely changed? Everything's changed. And especially, like, you know, originally Captain America wakes up, like, what, 20 years or so after World War II ends. Mm -hmm. There's still going to be a lot of people around. There's still going to be a lot of things that he's, he's familiar with, even if things have changed. Even 10 years ago, with the movie version, you know, there's still more of that world left. But now, like, there's no one left that she remembers. You know, everyone's, even people who just died of old age, they're gone. So, like, everything from her life is gone. And how does someone like that deal with that? And I think... Her reaction to that is a bit different to Steve as well, I think. I really enjoy sort of, I guess, the comparative side as well. Like, she's a different person to Steve, so how do these things play out for her is another big part of it. And then I suppose the other thing is, like, us, our societies and our cultures remember big events in our history differently to the reality a lot of the time for various different reasons. And I think it's really interesting to have somebody who, from her point of view, that was literally like last week, mm. coming to a world where everybody is like remembering her and remembering what she got up to and remembering her legacy and, and everything she was involved in, probably a bit differently to how she actually felt it went. And that sort of really interesting straight away. That sort of thing, combined with obviously all the, the running about and throwing the shield and punching <laughs> the bad guys, sort of came into sort of like a really sort of exciting mix for me. And uh, I didn't really have to think that long. To being asked to do, I was like, yeah, yeah, it's something I want to do. You mentioned also designing other characters for the series. And because it's uh, sort of an alternate reality, I would imagine there's a lot of leeway to have fun bringing in characters and concepts and things that have familiarity to Marvel fans, but also you can create as your own. So any hints or any anything you can share with us about the rest of the book and the world? Yeah, it's a lot of fun to be had with that, definitely. Because especially because if you're taking it as a, a point of difference it's not last week it's eight years ago so 80 years of potential difference how does that sort of butterfly out and spill out 
and it's not the focus of the book you know the, the focus is definitely on on peggy but it's really fun to mess around with that kind of thing and bring in back a few sort of marvel uk characters from the 90s nice there's a few i suppose like 80s captain britain kind of concepts like i think been announced and i like, brought strike back um which is sort of like the, the british equivalent of shield and then uh betsy braddock is in it well she's called lizzie braddock in this just another little sort of like slight difference she's a, a strike agent that's uh, sort of i suppose peggy's sidekick in a way it's kind of her sort of role in the, in the book and there's a few other characters that sort of i guess i don't want to mention yet because i don't show up yet I remember reading the Marvel UK books when they did the big US push for them in mm. the early 90s. And there was like mm. Motormouth and Kill Power and mm-hmm. Knights of Pendragon, Warheads. And um, mm-hmm. I loved the Death's Head 2, that first yeah. limited series yeah, yeah. That, where they killed Death's Head. And then I think it might be the last issue of that is like this bleak marvel universe series where she hulk and rhino are a couple mm-hmm. and they all die and, mm-hmm. and mr fantastic is like just a pile of goo in yeah. a jar so good yeah, um it's, it's a really sort of like horrific alternate i guess it's present or future i think future because it trumps around a lot but yeah it was a future yeah 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 oh man yeah that was that was a really sort of big part of that sort of era of my comic reading was that kind of stuff yeah all of that i mean i love my mouth and kill power like say death's head and uh Dark Angel. Mm. I think it was Dark mm-hmm. Angel. Yeah, it was Hell's Angel and she changed to Dark Angel. Mystech. All of those kind of characters. Yeah, Mystech. Yeah, oh my gosh. Warheads. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I could just keep naming them now. But, for uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, I love that stuff. So there's kind of, there's a few nods to that in there as well, just for, for the, the few of us who remember it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, since you're like drawing all, you know, all these interesting spots for inspiration for the book, what kind of readers would you recommend check out this book? People who like what? Oh, well, I mean, I suppose like the, the obvious one is like people who like the, the what version of the character, though it's, you know, it's not the same character, but it's obviously there's different inspiration there. Yeah, a lot of people who, who liked a lot of the, the old British stuff. I've been trying to think about how to describe it. And I guess it's kind of, I suppose, like a superhero spy thriller in a way, is how I'm looking at the book. So it's, like, it's not like all like cosmic events and everything, but it's definitely, I think, quite exciting, mystery-led kind of thing. A lot of action, a lot of, uh, like, Marika's action pages is turning in brilliant. Man, I'm really bad at this kind of question, but... Uh, <laughs> You're doing great. People who like books that I like. There you go. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, if you like Jamie McKelvey, you'll love this book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess I guess that's, that's one way of putting it, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's like, a, it's really... Like seeing it come together now, it's really exciting and it's really kind of quite fast paced and hopefully, uh, yeah, it gets people coming back each month. Jamie, thanks so much for coming and chatting with us. Everybody definitely check out Captain Carter number one. We're really looking forward to uh, checking out just in time for International Women's Day even. Hey, thank you very much. It's been really good to talk to you. Once again, big thanks to Jamie for coming on the show. Uh, it was just it made me happy seeing Jamie yeah. and talking with him for a while because when we're not at conventions and stuff, he's one of those people I, I would usually see at a con and, and get to hang out with a little bit. So it was, it was great catching up. And also, I read Captain Carter number one. It's terrific. It's a lot of fun. I love the way he writes Peggy and the world that she like finds herself in and, and what's going on. And yeah, I'm very excited. I was like, I finished the first issue and I was like, Okay, but now I want more? Please. 
Yeah. Thank you. Which is always what we want. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, check out Captain Carter number one on your comic book apps and in your local comic book shops March 9th. All right, Ryan, what is our question of the week? So, you know, we were thinking about the cool news of the seven Marvel live action series that are hitting Disney+. Plus. So question of the week is this. What Marvel series are you most looking forward to watching on Disney+, Plus of the classic shows that are being dropped on there? So you've got Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, The Defenders, The Punisher, and Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Which one do you want to watch first? Let us know. Use hashtag This Week in Marvel. Email your answers to twim, podcast at marvel.com, or send us a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. And of course, as always, please, please, please make sure to tell us it's okay to read on the show. Heck yeah. Man, that's awesome because, you know, many of these series also have multiple seasons. Mm-hmm. So there are lots and lots and lots of episodes to watch i just love seeing all the marvel stuff getting put in one place and making Mm -hmm. it easy for everybody to find it real cool y'all um speaking of real cool our guest next week is going to be writer brad Meltzer. he talks about working on various comics and really we just gush about george perez so what more could you want that'll be next week Our question of the week last week was, what's your favorite Marvel costume redesign? One of the fun things about this was reading some of these answers. I was like, oh, yeah, I completely missed a whole bunch of great responses, including this Mm -hmm. one from Ryan Dunleavy, who, shout out to Ryan, a tremendous artist. He did the art for Modoc Rain Delay, which was an old digital comic we did. And he's really funny. One of the best cartoonists out there. He's a ding dang delight. I love Ryan so much. Um, And Ryan tweets, Chris Bashalo's magic redesign. Magic was always a great character in the XN ensemble, but this look transformed her into a superhero icon. Like, legit. It's so cool, too, because she's got, like, the... It's actually very in right now. The sort of crop top with the long sleeves and, like, the black leather pants that have, like, the, you know, strap details. They're very cool. And then that cool weapon. Yeah, the soul sword, she is mm, the best. Magic is one of my favorites. Nikki at Varsus78 said, I'm a big fan of the Chris Anka design for Spider-Woman. And I love Mm -hmm. this look, too. It's sort of like the moto jacket look where she's got her classic kind of spider on her chest. But it's a moto jacket that she can unzip and keep it cash with some like black jeans uh, and some cool sunglasses. I really love this look for her because it got her out of sort of that Hydra agent outfit that her look is based on. So I thought this was really cool. Yeah. We got a tweet in here from Stormnika. At Storm Bars, who says, I love the Uncanny X-Force Psylocke redesign. While I live for the One Piece, this redesign felt like the next step. I wish Quanon uses it at some point. So Quanon is the woman, her, her real name, who is Psylocke in that body, the awesome ninja lady. And this redesign is cool. The whole Uncanny X-Force redesigns were pretty terrific. Mm-hmm. They used the uh, versions of the, the black and gray, and they just, man, everybody looks so cool in that book. Heck yeah. Uh, next up, we have Milan at Beauty Pale, who says, I love the X-Men Polaris redesign. I'm a big fan of Pepe Larraz, but I also love her classic costume. Yeah, I like the Polaris redesign. It's got kind of that, it's almost got kind of like a Marvel Girl vibe to it, but with like more of the X-Force kind of, you know, X patterns on it. I think it just feels practical. And, like, mm-hmm. something that she could wear as just, like, a normal person, but, like, yeah. with the jacket and the cool skirt and the, the like, everything about it looks, like, normal. But then she gets in it and she also looks exactly like a superhero. 
mm-hmm. which rules. Travis Fauché at Version X tweets, Spider-Man Future Foundation was one of my faves. Yeah, that's a great pick, Travis. That uh, white and black look is tremendous. I know our pals at Hasbro just showed off the opposite color scheme with the mm-hmm. black with white accents on it for the Marvel Legends look. They all are terrific. Yeah. Next up, we have Randall J. Sanders at Randall J. Sanders, who says, Ben Riley's original Scarlet Spider costume, a very 1990s remix of the Spider-Man elements. I love this because mm-hmm. it's essentially red Spider-Man with a hoodie. Like he's going to the gym with the ripped off sleeves and the yeah. sort of blue hoodie thing going on. Love it. I need to wear that. I have one of those hoodies in my closet. I need to wear it more. Like this summer is going to be all about guns out. Guns out, guns out. Yep. Scarlet Spider hoodie. That's going to be me. Tom at Title Track tweets, Daredevil's redesign in the Netflix series compared to his comic counterpart. Mm. Love the red suit, but the tactical red and black aesthetic just really makes it work. I love that. That, Mm -hmm. I love thinking outside the box that way. That's really cool. Next up, James T. King at James T. King P1 said, come on, y'all. It's no contest. Storm's mohawk look got a visual representation of Storm's character arc and personal growth with a big nod to the influence Yukio had on her in Japan. Um, I love this look. I actually have this like a statue of her in this like punk rock look in the all black leather with the mohawk. And I love it. Yeah. This is one of those that I was like, it's like smacked me upside the head. It was like, of course, how did I miss this? I also, I love this look because in the comics, Kitty loses her mind over. She's like, Kitty's like, how could you? You look so dear. She's like, and Storm's like, baby, this is just me. It's like, <laughs> deal with it, kitten. And I'm punk oh, now. That's so good. We've got a Facebook message from Keith Lyle, who says, My favorite Marvel costume redesign would probably be Ben Riley's Spider-Man costume. Peter Parker's Spider-Man costume will always remain an icon, but Ben Riley's costume is my personal fave because it has sentimental value for me. It was at the time when I really got into comics and established myself as a Marvel fan. I was a huge fan of the whole clone saga, and I thought at the time what seemed like Peter passing the Spider-Man mantle to Ben was kind of cool. Of course, Spider-Man was and still is my favorite comic book character, but above all, the main reason why Ben Riley's costume has sentimental value to me is because I had the pleasure of talking to Stan Lee and got him to autograph my issue of Spider-Man number 75, which was the original death of Ben Riley. and this happened at Wizard World Chicago Comic-Con in 1998. It remains one of my prized possessions till this very day. I love that, Keith. That's a I love also the, like, the emotional, sentimental connection to this. It's fantastic. We also got a Facebook message from Rafael Michelangelo Perry, who sent us some cool stuff and, and was excited about stuff. But Rafael, always remember to tell us it is okay to read on the show. Thanks for the messages. But unless you tell us it's okay to read on the show, we can't read it on the show. All right, next up, we've got a Facebook message from Damon Bozer, who says, My favorite alternate superhero costume in the Marvel Universe is, without a doubt, the spider suit in Spider-Man No Way Home. Nanotechnology plus mechanical spider arms beats almost anything. And you're not wrong. It's a super sick costume. So cool. We get an email in here from Jake Bolton, and Jake says, My answer for the costume redesign would have to be the redesigns and alt costumes for Spider-Man, because he was my origin story character, and they are all so cool. Also worth mentioning is the different versions of Spider-Man across the multiverse and the costumes they came up with for them. Uh, Which, totally cool, Jake. There's so many designs. Mm -hmm. I mean, man, it's it's hard to pick any one out of all. (laughs) Spider-Punk, that's it. You know what? That's true, Lorraine. Nailed it. 
All right, next up, we've got an email from Leo Krauss who says, To Ryan and Lorraine, for me, it would be Daredevil from his original black and yellow design. I think first introduced in Daredevil number one to his now completely red design. To think, he only had one D on his costume. Love you guys. Keep making great content. We've got an email in here from William Rose who says, uh, before I begin, I just want to let you guys know that I'll be coming to the Marvel Unlimited Spidey event, Yay. celebrating Spidey's 60th anniversary with most of the previous writers who created an incredible set of characters for many future writers to take new perspectives on. I saved a great question and insight for Dan Slott on his creation, Piper Dolly, aka Paper Doll, without making it too, quote unquote, thin to read. I like that one. Good, good little pun there. William. Oh boy. <laughs> Moving along, he says, my favorite redesign has to be Russell Dodderman's new takes on Marvel Girl and Storm's Hellfire Gala costumes. With Jean leaving the gown and Aurora possibly changing the molecular structure of her Rocky Queen Regent design, these two besties will have their explanations on how their new looks came to be in the upcoming X-Books in the Destiny of X. I'm sure Russ has great ways to make the Hellfire looks more ready beyond the green carpet, but the honorary mention has to go to the Stepford Cuckoos for providing two incredible looks during the inaugural Hellfire Gala, but sadly I couldn't find any of Matteo Loli's concept designs for them in the red carpet hardcover edition. Maybe a second edition? We'll see, William. I don't know. He says, we need all of the looks beyond the initial ones, or I'll have to email Jumbo Carnation for a complaint. This leads to my question for you, hosts. Which mutant's look from whichever artist from the inaugural event do you wish had its own concept design page? Mm. With that, stay safe. Choose your Destiny of X carefully and Excelsior. I will say I don't have the hardcover, so I don't yeah. know all the designs that are shown within it. So it's hard for me to answer that properly, William. But as far as just, like, general looks from the carpet, I mean. Like, I'm picturing the, like, the design covers yeah, the that we did. Yeah, the step and repeat kind of yeah. cover. Those, the step and repeats, but also just, like, the artist design variants where each of the artists drew, like, a bunch of characters. There's one with Colossus mm -hmm. where everybody was, like, thirsty for Colossus. Yes, I, I the mm -hmm. one with the furry. Mm -hmm. He's wearing, like, the deep V and the furry collar. Yes. Next up, an email from Jason Kim. Dear Ryan and Lorraine, aloha from Hawaii. I know things are a little crazy right now, but I want to encourage listeners to read some awesome comics this weekend. Please continue to keep up the great work and have fun recording new episodes. Aloha, Jason. Oh, thank you, Jason. And great advice. That's a great way to like end the episode is just read some great comics, have a good weekend, be awesome. Thank you for the positivity all the way from Hawaii, Jason. We appreciate it. This episode of This Week in Marvel was produced by Zachary Goldberg, Isabel Robertson, Cara McGurk, Allison, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos. Our senior manager of audio production and development is Brad Barton. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. Special thanks to Iron Cat. Don't iron your cat. Get an Iron Cat. It's safer for everybody. Meow. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. And this is Marvel. Your universe. I pooped. You pooped? That's great. Yeah, in the big door. In the big door. The, the, the boob. Boob. You pooped? Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. I'm pooping. I know you win. I know you win. I know you win. Jungle jeans, monkey bars, swing sets. Pooping. Webs up. Webs up. up.